eerste ervaring. En nu, ladies en gentlemen, your attention, please. Big decisions have even bigger consequences in the world of marketing leadership, where data informs everything, second chances are rare, and ROI is no longer the only metric that matters. Please join us as we go inside the funnel. Hello, hello, hello. Who's Jazzy? I am. You know why I'm Jazzy? Because I'm driving this thing today. So we are here. This is Jenna Watson. I am here with my friends Dan Temby and Nasser Salul to bring you another fantastic episode of Inside the Funnel. So today we're going to do something when, bear with me because I'm going to say it out loud and you're going to be like, wait, is this 2012? Because I thought we had this settled. But just bear with us because we're going to talk about this. Today we're going to talk about omni-channel. And I know, I know that anybody in marketing had this conversation six, seven, eight, ten years ago, but as you'll find out and as we talk about today, I think there's still a whole lot that we need to talk about what omni-channel means, how we bring it to life, and why it is or isn't working today. So let's just start, let's set the stage. I'm going to turn it over to you, Nasser, and say like, all right, what is omni-channel? What are we even talking about? So I think omnichannel is one of these concepts. First of all, it it sounds to me like an '80s villain from an episode of Airwolf or Buck Rogers. I mean, <laughs> you know, when, when you hear omnichannel, you can imagine the mullet and and the tin foil bandana or what have you. And and you know, you you, <laughs> you talk about about it being an aged concept in terms of how it feels as a conversation. You know, but but it it's. It's not. Um, it's one of those things that, frankly, the last time I saw a concept that feels old but isn't is when I looked in the mirror. Um, and and I, I think that it's, it's extremely relevant today, um, especially in the context of everything that's going on with the pandemic and, and all of these kinds of things. But if we, if we think about what it actually means, and, and we've got a bit of a definition here, an omni, omni-channel is a cross-channel strategy that recognizes the need for brands to satisfy user intent across multiple points of contact, online or off, to improve relationships with their customers and target customers. And it's channels, tactics, content, and experiences that are designed and orchestrated to cooperate across the entire customer journey and are centered in audience intent and optimized using all relevant data. So let, let's break that down a little bit. Um, because I think there was a bit of jargon there, a little, um, bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But but I think I think the key point about what an omnichannel experience is about, it's a it's centered around people. It's centered around audience. And if we think about it in a retail context, the reason why that is a really really important distinction is how it differentiates from what a lot of people in retail think of as omnichannel, which is actually multi-channel. Multi-channel is not centered on people. It's centered on product or on individual channels. And it's about how do I optimize an individual channel to sell this product and to communicate the benefits of this product. Omnichannel is about combining all of the channels in alignment so that they are connected and built around the audience themselves and what they're looking for and what they're expecting. Mm -hmm. So it's good. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good thing. It's it's a good thing. And in fact, it, it's it's not a good thing. It's a great thing. Um, so I think Forbes came out with a stat recently and they said 
they, they compared the retention rates of brands that that at least attempt omnichannel marketing versus those with with no omnichannel and they found that there was an 89% retention rate for brands with omni who conduct some form of omnichannel marketing versus 33% who don't so it it's it's a multiplier in terms of a business impact Mm -hmm. Yeah, numbers don't lie. Dan, what do you think about this? You're you're a little bit removed from it, right? Nasser mm -hmm. lives in client and business strategy all day long. I live in media mm -hmm. all day long. You live in Dan's world all day long. What, <laughs> what do you it's think about it? It's fabulous here. It really is wonderful. <laughs> um, by the way, I must say you look dashing in your conductor's hat today, Jenna. Thank so. you. I really like the pinstripes, personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well done. Um, <laughs> I think... Again, my biggest exposure to this, I think, is dealing with what it isn't frequently. And very quickly, um, omni-channel marketing conversations devolve into attribution analysis conversations. Sure. And they're not the same thing, Prim primarily because attribution is about the brand or the client asking, how did we do from our perspective how did my decisions to put mm. media here, there, and somewhere else, how did that benefit me? And omni-channel, not marketing, Nasser, but maybe to augment that, omni-channel experiences for clients is about how do we make stuff awesome for them specifically. And then attribution of different media tactics will fall out of that. Opportunities to better connect these different channels will become evident out of that. So really, truly, you know, it sounds a little altruistic, but to put other people's needs first in a legitimate way. Uh, we were chatting just the other day, Nasser, about an experience that you had had. And you expressed frustrations to me very colorfully about being made to repeat yourself over and over again as you went from one support channel to another support channel to another one. And the truth is, if that brand had worked that out, you wouldn't have had to repeat yourself. You would have experienced a beautiful omnichannel experience, and you would have inherently carried with you a more positive uh, impression of that brand, impression of that product. Very difficult to capture that in a data signal about attribution somewhere, but it's something that we know to be true. So I think trying to zoom out from this marketing influence, this transaction, to how do I actually hand off a conversation with a customer between one channel to another? How do I shield the internal politics and nonsense of my org chart and my business structure from my customer and just let them engage with me in a really natural and seamless way? And I think that's where technology can play a huge role, um, but it doesn't stop there. It starts there and then there's a ton of other things that need to be done. Right. So, so we're saying it's really, really good. Awesome stats if you do it. Bad mm -hmm. stats if you don't. It's really, really hard to do, though. And I think what you just kind of hit the nail on the head, we're basically saying if you're going to really do omnichannel, sorry, marketer X, you have to stop mm -hmm. thinking about yourself. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I remember I have a great little anecdote from um, must be four, six or seven years ago. I was doing a bathroom renovation and I was working with a brand. I was, I had done some research and I found bathroom supplies and products um, from a uh, retailer in the States. And I was on their website and I was building a shopping cart and uh, 
I'm like, you know what? I'm not confident enough to, uh, I'm not confident enough to make this purchase without talking to somebody. I didn't know enough about the products. And as much as I wanted to believe I did, I'm like, ah, you know what? It chagrined me a little bit. I'm like, I'm going to have to call and talk to somebody. And I I know where that's going to go. Sure enough, I called them. Lovely lady answered the phone. Very first thing she asked me to do was scroll to the very bottom of my shopping cart in the bottom right-hand corner. And there was a five-digit number. And I gave her that five-digit number. And she instantly had on the screen everything I was looking at, every product I was talking about. She was able to get right to the point. What did you want to know? Moreover, in the background, think of the click stream that they just had. All of the online attribution data that went to my identity creating that ID, now they have a voice and a phone call and a call log and a disposition and possibly what ended up being an in-person sale over the phone attributed back to that thing. So it satisfied the marketing needs of that organization and it made me feel awesome because they had connected what I was doing online with what I was doing with somebody on the telephone. So that's a really good example of an omnichannel experience. It's not really done that often, which I find really interesting. So let's talk about that. You've said, like, we already know it's hard from a you know, a philosophical standpoint, brands have Mm -hmm. to let go of their product focus and their internal silos, because honestly, nobody cares about their internal org charts, right? Right. That's why we're here to talk about it today. Why else is it so hard? Like, what does it actually take to do this right? You've said you've said some words, Dan, that actually, if you unpack what you just said, there's a whole lot going on back there. So Nasser, what do you think? Why is this so hard? What does it actually take to truly bring Omnichannel to life? Well, I I think one of the things that is a good indicator that a brand is a progressive brand is where they replace a CMO title with a, you know, chief customer officer or Mm. chief experience officer. Mm. Um, Because one of the things that Dan said, which was which I, I think hits the nail on the head, which, by the way, I hate acknowledging at the best of times, is that this is this is more than a marketing conversation. In fact, it's probably not even a marketing conversation. This is about the entire operation. And I think, um, you know, when, when we when we think about omnichannel um, uh, initiatives, if you look at about, about how you realign an entire operation of an organization, every part of it around that customer experience and every customer touch point, that's a fiendishly difficult thing to do. You have to overcome organizational momentum or inertia, um, depending on the individual organization. You have to overcome uh, mentality around this is how we've always done it. And then, you know, this extends even into, let's say, how brands market themselves. Um, so a, a really, really good example of this is even within the the marketing space, you can go onto a major enterprise brand today um, that, that, let's say, is a, is a major retailer and you can identify what their org structure looks like just by looking at their navigation. It's broken totally. down by it's broken down yeah. by product, yeah. and and the decisions on what gets displayed where and how are not decided by marketing. They're decided by merchandising. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can I can recall, you know, a, a few years ago, being in a conversation where you know we we were talking with a major retailer um, who sells you know thousands and thousands of SKUs. They are known as, you know, as far as their brand is concerned, around a very, very specific product um, in the automotive space. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I won't get into too much around what that product is, but the, the key thing is that up and down their organization, right to the CEO, they would go and search for themselves and they would be like, why aren't we showing up for any of this stuff? And the response was, because you're not spending enough money in this highly competitive category to, to show up, even though you are the premier retailer for that product in, in the industry. Not 10 minutes later, we're talking to somebody inside of the organization who is a product manager for a totally unrelated product who basically says, hey, I have all of this money to spend. Can you please spend <laughs> the money um, to push my product? And we're like, you cannot physically spend that much money on this product. That That's an outrageous number. By the way, can we use some of that for this other flagship product over here? And the answer, of course, was no, right? Mm-hmm. So so organizational structure is is incredibly difficult to overcome. That's before you even get into the data and technical um, issues that, that underpin all of that. So Right. It's like know. it's like you get these you get a customer to a brand and then four business units within that brand start then competing for that customer's attention. Right. Instead of just working in a coordinated way to and- and that's to give the that difference. Person a beautiful experience, yeah. right? That's the difference between multi-channel and omni-channel, right? Multi-channel yeah. is every line of business owner, product owner, merchant inside the organization all has their own goals. They all have their own objectives, and that's what they're driving toward, right? So, you know, Nasser, you alluded to it. The the organization itself has to change, and that's really the starting point. We can't have internal silos because obviously, if it's siloed, you're not going to be able to deploy this effectively. But when we talk beyond the org structure, Dan, like what does it actually take on, you know, the data, the tools, the technology? What does mm-hmm. it take on the back end to make all this stuff happen? For sure. And there's, you know, with our previous episodes on customer identity and privacy, all of that needs to be in the background of this conversation because we can't overstep those lines. But, you know, we do, you, we need a suite of platforms that are going to work really organically well together. Think about a platform like Shopify and one of their positions in the market and the reason they've been so successful is that they talk about being omni-channel by default. That's one of the lines they use. And that's a really tremendous idea. So if you're starting a business and you're going to have an in-store presence and an online presence and you're going to do social media and you're going to do other marketing, they have built their platform to support an integrated conversation and experience with their with those users customers from the ground up super easy to deploy if you're going into a large brand that's been running for a generation and has been doing multiple iterative versions of technology and different tools and platforms getting all of them to speak together can be quite daunting for sure but again in the in the age of um dmps and cdps as we've discussed and getting first party data integrated into a way where it can be referenced by a variety of different platforms you know these initiatives start and stop with that approach for sure my little trick that we mentioned that i mentioned earlier about binding an e-commerce shopping cart to a phone call not super complicated provided again you have the right tools and as we know with anything tools are just an enabler the training and the messaging and the unification of operating procedures and the support from senior people to say, this is how we're going to do things now is probably more complicated than the technology to support what we need to do here. 
I think I think when we think about tools as well um, and the capabilities of integrating these things, you know, we we've been talking at DAC for for many years around this concept of enterprise to local, um, which is a central concept to to truly successful omnichannel. And what we mean by that is the integration um, and alignment of messaging from the brand and national international level potentially right down to the individual hyper local store um, or or location experience um, it's exactly why we've frankly invested a tremendous amount uh, or made tremendous investments in in optimizing the the local infrastructure and in our own technology there but I, I think I think the the alignment of those experiences and then extending it into the physical location is it, it's it's absolutely critical to to really successful omnichannel marketing. So here's what I'm hearing. You have to wipe out your org structure. You have to have a whole bunch of tools and platforms that work together and talk to one another. You have to have people that understand how to bring all of those things together and operate those tools and platforms that bring everything together. And then you have to have one centralized marketing branding arm that's all caring deeply about the customer and working for the good of the whole. No big deal, right? <laughs> so, I mean, hearing some of the stats and reading about it and just having our own experiences, right? Like your, your poor experience recently. What, is that why it's so hard? Like which thing makes it so hard for brands to actually adopt this? Why do you think we've been, we started having this conversation in 20, 2010? What year is this? Yeah, 2010, <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> and we're still having it. I, I think that there's, there's clearly technical limitations uh, from a data perspective and, and binding and creating, um, you know, an, an audience profile or a customer profile. But you know, as, as Dan indicated in the example that he gave from six years ago, there's workarounds. There's basic things that can be done. Um, I, I do think that this is much more about, um, about companies' leadership committing to doing this because it requires organizational change. Um, you know, and when I think of the, the experience that Dan alluded to uh, that I've had recently, um, that's not even a retail environment. That's a service issue. And it's we're talking about going from one service person to the next and getting escalated, not not being asked to be escalated, but they're actually moving me around based on what the actual requirements are. And these are service people within a single organization. And every time I'm talking to the next person, I'm having to repeat myself for 20 minutes, um, which is an astonishing thing to happen in 2020. And then looking crit with a critical eye to say, okay, did 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 anything action off of that? And how could they have communicated with me? They have my email, they have my phone number, and then receiving zero communications, digital communications, where I'm crying out for these uh, communications. Again, this is this is not a complex thing to do from a from a data perspective. So I think it can feel extremely daunting and extremely overwhelming. Um, to try to do all of these things. So, so perhaps a really good way to think about this is, is in a, a graduated approach. So if I was we wanna, just going to say that. Yep. So, so if we want to think about it in terms of crawl, walk, run, and, and ultimately race, what does crawl look like? 
Crawl is about providing multiple buying options for the customer based on their choice. So whether it's online, in-store, by phone, or catalog, or what have you. Walk is about buying online and picking up or returning in-store or curbside based on the current situation. Um, it sounds and feels like an obvious thing to do, but you know, even there, major brands and major retailers are falling down. I, I can remember not too long ago when I was in a lockdown environment over here where I sit, um, ordering something online, getting the message that the email, okay, it's ready for you to pick up at, at the physical location, and then going and sitting in the parking lot where you couldn't physically go into the building and calling the number on the email and it being continuously um, uh, busy. Uh, busy, busy, mm-hmm. which is an incredible failure if you if you think about it and sitting there literally for half an hour waiting to connect with somebody who's probably standing or sitting about 10 feet away from me uh, as, as the crow flies so even this brands are not doing but but let's suppose they could sort that out the run phase of this is the ability to tie store and e-commerce customer purchase data together for a single customer view right. not easy to do right Dan yeah and I uh... I think people get caught up on this term omni. Omni means everything. <laughs> Omnipotent. That's enormously intimidating, that word. Just pick two things that don't currently talk to each other and wire them up. Done. Now, good. Now let's take that new thing that is two things and wire it up to another thing. And let's iteratively chip away at this disconnected ecosystem of tools that have been layered on by teams of IT people and marketing people and digital people with different objectives and different visions in mind and they're all disconnected. Forget all that. Start with two and then turn that into two more and two more and two more and you'll very quickly realize a couple of things. What are the key critical customer data systems? Remember years ago we ran a workshop, NASA at a client And we had a whole bunch of people from every department. And we're at the front of the room with the whiteboard mark. And we're like, okay, hands up here if you think you have a system that owns the customer record in this business. And everyone put their hand up. So we went around the room and we we did a detailed uh, description on the whiteboard of what system it was and why they thought they owned the customer record. And just showing this one business with all these people in a room that may have never even met each other until we came along all saying, well, hang on a minute, I thought I had the master record, and here's why, and I thought I did. And suddenly you start to break those walls down, and it doesn't take too long to put together the three or four actually critical systems that contain all of that master customer data and can string them together so that you at least have a model or a framework you can draw from to to start activating that back to the customer so that they can actually experience uh, those unified uh, messages and communications and, and so on. So put two things together, tie those two things, which are now one thing to a second thing. And you just keep mm-hmm. rolling like that. You make it sound just, so simple, Dan. Like why, why well, isn't the whole I mean, well, world that's doing what we're here this. to do, right, Jenna? We're, <laughs> we're here to try to bring some sort of, how do I get started? Like one foot in front of the other sort of thing, sure. you know, and we always talk about what gives Dan a frustrate. And this, I've thought a lot about this one. For I haven't this episode. asked you yet. What has caused I know you're you to frustrate? You're not there yet, but <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if this topic necessarily frustrates me as much as it excites me. The opportunity to do cool things, you know, like there are still so many huge brands and huge 
companies with big budgets and sophisticated systems that aren't doing pretty trivial things. And if they were to just activate them, the opportunity would be like, it would be super cool, right? To have, you know, you know, my phone number, of course, you know, my phone number. So when I call in, immediately apply context to why I might be calling from the last thing I did. Like, it's not that difficult to do that. And with this one plus one equals three approach, I think a lot of a lot of brands could make some big headway. So I, I think I think that breaking it down into its individual one plus one equals three approaches is correct. But I think to to steal a quote from Antoine de Saint Exupéry, I think I said that right. Who, yeah, yeah. who wrote the Little Prince? You got to give him a vision, right? Yeah. Um, he, he wrote, uh, I'm just reading it here. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. So what, what does that vision look like? And, and I think where, what it truly looks like and where we should be excited as marketers is this idea of, of what the race concept is in, in Omnichannel. This is about personalized experiences, including in-store clienteling. It uses customer sizes, styles, purchase history, both online and off, browsing history, and so on to deliver these experiences. Can you imagine as, you know, and, and I know we're, we're, we're getting very retail heavy and retail specific, but and it need not be, but I think it is important because retail tends to be more progressive than other industries like financial services and, and with good reason because it's under so much pressure. But imagine if you could deliver that how that would allow you to contrast and compete with pure play digital native brands, um, whether it's an Amazon or whomever, who, by the way, is going in the other direction now to create omnichannel retail experiences because they understand that online and offline working together really is the future. I don't believe for a moment when people talk about, you know, the new normal and everything is going to be online 100 percent. Don't buy it. I think I think it's it's really important for us to understand that physical tactile experiences are important the the fact that we're missing out on all those experiences is why we're all so depressed right now right <laughs> it it's going to it's going to come back much stronger but now is the opportunity now is the time to invest in creating these seamless experiences so that when we do get a chance to to truly interact and experience them we build in that advantage and that competitive advantage um, that allows us to truly excel. Absolutely. And I think, you know, people talk about it all the time. They yearn for things like travel and live music and seeing plays again. Yeah, people want to go to a store. People want to go sit and look at things physically in a store <laughs> instead of staring at their screens, which they do day in and day out right now. <laughs> Jenna, Jenna wants to return shoes because she bought them on impulse in a <laughs> yeah. store, not because she had to get also three true. pair on Amazon and return the ones that didn't that, fit. That doesn't require a pandemic, though. That's, that's kind of my normal MO. So... Who is doing this well? Do any of you have examples? I know, Dan, you had a good example about your bathroom fixtures, but yeah. are there any other real-world examples where you think they're actually latching onto this pretty well? I think a lot of the... Um, my internet service provider, I was just thinking about this as well, they do a pretty good job of omnichannel from a service perspective, mm. meaning if I got a problem, I can reach out to them through the phone, their online support desk, through Twitter or whatever, and they're doing 
there's a couple of carriers I work with. One of them does this okay. One does it really well. The okay one, I can do it. And they're like, hey, would you fill out this form and validate your identity and blah, blah, blah. And here's the 12 questions we've asked you before. And it's okay. And it's kind of feels better than sitting on the phone waiting forever. The other one, I just pick up where I left off my last conversation with them. And they instantly know who I am. They know my account. They don't ask me a single question about who I am or what service I have. Or they just know because they've worked all that out. So they, I say, hey, is anyone, is internet down in my area? They call me by name. Hey, Dan, no, everything looks good in my area, right? Like, so they know. And I'm like, instantly, I feel like I'm talking to somebody that I know, right? Or that at least knows me. And we get right to the point of the issue we solve it right away and we move on. So that to me feels like this, like I know them personally, which is weird because I don't know who the heck it is on the other end. Um, so I think that there, there are examples of that being done. And I think social media is a good on-ramp to omni-channel experiences for people in a variety of ways, whether it's sales or service and support or whatever the case is. I'm intrigued by the fact that you have two internet service providers. <laughs> I, no, no, carriers sure. like, you know, like TV and uh, cell phones and internet. They're not all the same company. All you the know, time, you can right? bundle that stuff nowadays. <laughs> yeah, you they can. But sometimes bundles. when you shop separately, you get better deals, Nasser. Don't fall for the, don't fall for the advertising. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think, Jenna, you, you've actually got a really good story around um, omnichannel or, or what's approaching an omnichannel experience and the impact that that sort of thing happens. Mm -hmm. Retailer, whose name shall not be mentioned here, uh, but a major well-known provider of both parts and service uh, in a certain industry that would require both parts and service, <laughs> is doing exceptionally well, actually. So what's really interesting about them is, as an enterprise, they are at least nine brands they are over 2,000 individual stores. They also sell through partner stores as well, so stores that they don't own. And they have all of these different elements, some of the things which can only be bought and paid for and executed in a physical reality, some of which can be done online. And so when you think about what it takes to execute that one, we obviously have to keep that customer at the center of this journey because we have to do marketing that satisfies the entire enterprise. Every single one of their brands, every single one of their lines of business, and then we have to route them to the appropriate endpoint. Sometimes that's a store that they own, sometimes that's a partner store, sometimes it's something further that happens online. So to be able to, to do this, they have really gotten smart about how they plan media, and what they do with their customer data. So they do keep their customer information at the center of all of this. They leverage a DMP in their marketing to be able to you know, identify audiences based on their last action so that they know the next best action out of that. To be able to do sequential messaging, even that. We, we as media people have been asked, okay, so talk to me about sequential messaging. And we're always kind of like, ah, it's really hard to do, mm -hmm. actually. You can't really do it that easily. <laughs> but if you do have customer data and you do have a DMP and that is fueling all of this, you can actually do that. So you can watch a customer move through this journey and interacting with these sequential pieces of messaging. So, you know... It's, it's no small feat to do this. This requires, you know, a gigantic client team, 
It requires a fairly large agency team, and it requires, um, you know, cooperation and and co-planning with creative, with the people that own the CRM data infrastructure, with the media partners, with their offline partners. So it requires an immense amount of cooperation and understanding. But the payoff is absolutely worth it because year on year on year, they just continue to grow. And, you know, it's not like there's been a giant windfall of money that they've suddenly thrown into their marketing mix. They're just continuing to grow based on the smart things that we're helping them to put into market. So the payoff is absolutely there. But for us, in partnership with them, it's it's been a journey. We're about to go mm-hmm. into year eight of that journey, right? So this isn't a thing like, even though Dan would have you believe connecting item one to item two plus item three gets you well on your way, <laughs> it is a very, very good start. But mm-hmm. to get to that promised land where the customer never has to repeat themselves and where yeah, huge. everything is known about them, that's that's still a ways off, even for the most sophisticated organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But we don't want to let the enormity of that vision get in the way of making a step. Right? Uh, no, absolutely. That, that's my point entirely. Mm-hmm. People need to understand, mm-hmm. like, well, you're definitely never going to get there if you don't start. <laughs> right. right. So something is for sure better than nothing. So anything else that that we need to uncover here? I feel like we've been pretty firm on this, but I want to make sure it's abundantly clear. This has to start at the organizational level. Someone somewhere in t- inside of an org has to champion this, and they have to be able to either have the power or get the votes or whatever that takes to change what their structure looks like so that all of these people can be marching in tandem with the customer at the center of that. Anything else mm-hmm. that we really need to kind of put a pin in, do you think, Dan? No, I think, I think that that vision is the right one because from there it's going to flow down. you're going to be asking a lot of people within your organization to start doing things kind of differently. And different means change. Change is hard. No's are easy. No's mean I get to just keep doing whatever I've been doing. Yes means, oh, now we got to do something new. And and it's effort. We need to make the juice look like it's worth the squeeze times five. And it really truly is, as we've articulated in just a few anecdotal experiences. The difference between a really good experience and a really poor one is significant in this space. Um, we have to remember that whether you're we're talking service or sales or whatever, people's expectations are rooted in their last best expecta- experience, right? And those last best experiences are getting good. There's a lot of good stuff going on. So you've you've got to Fill people with that inspiration and say, come on, we can do this. It's not hard. Break it down into bite-sized digestible pieces and get after it. Awesome. So, Dan, you're super excited about this topic. You're really enjoying it. I really am. But I know you. It's it's the holidays, (laughs) Janet. We're recording this before the holidays. Yeah, but let's be real. You are are Dan. So, Dan, what frustrates (laughs) you about this? (laughs) Man, talk about typecasting. Well... If the shoe fits. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> no, I think as as is with a lot of stuff in the space that I operate, which is the nuts and bolts technical, you know, the the steak to Nasser sizzle in many cases, right? The nutrition <laughs> part of the equation. 
<laughs> I, I'm just an empty calorie to you here. You're, yeah, you're the true. you're the yeah, marbling in yeah. a really nice steak, Nasser. So, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Thank you, thank you, Jenna. I love you too. You're like, welcome. <laughs> there is doing work. Um, it's achievable if we break it down. Don't marginalize the complexity of what needs to be done here. People using words like quick or easy or simple. <laughs> Let's just do a quick X or a simple Y. <laughs> When you start talking about this here, that can get pretty, uh, that can aggravate some technical people who have a lot to do and a lot of uh, legacy to unbundle. And along the way, these same people aren't allowed to make a single mistake or drop a single signal from any system, because if they do, then they'll be the devil for that as well. So, you know, give the technical people who are ultimately responsible for pulling the levers here the latitude they need to operate effectively and the support that they need and then my frustrates will come down so, <laughs> there you go that's my little psa for my peeps i like it i like it so i i just have to say it's been awesome sitting in the, this chair today i'm a little bit sad that we couldn't somehow talk about some movie star that i have a wild and crazy crush on but next time there's always another next, <laughs> next time, time. <laughs> i'm almost certain that'll happen next time. I, i'm fairly certain we can make that happen <laughs> all right until next time everybody Thank you and good night. You've been listening to Inside the Funnel with Jenna Watson, Dan Temby, and Nasser Salul. Until next time, don't forget to like, subscribe, and connect with the AC wherever you see us online.